in his sermon, Loving Your Enemy, Martin Luther King says, So, somehow, the isness of our present nature is out of harmony with the eternal oughtness that forever confronts us. And this simply, and this simply means that within the best of us there is some evil, and within the worst of us there is some good. When we come to see this, we take a different attitude toward individuals. The person who hates you most has some good in him. Even the nation that hates you most has some good in it. Even the race that hates you most has some good in it. And when you come to the point that you look in the face of every man and see deep down within him what religion calls the image of God, you begin to love him in spite of no matter what he does, you see God's image there. There is an element of goodness that he can never slough off. Discover the element of good in your enemy, and as you seek to hate him, find the center of goodness and place your attention there, and you will take a new attitude. further, he says, that is the meaning of love. In the final analysis, love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It's not merely an emotional something. Love is creative, understanding goodwill for all. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to get to be caught up in that system, you love. But you seek to defeat that system. Close quote. In a way, we could say Zazen is loving, is loving what is and loving what is not. Just as we could say loving is the bodhisattva practice of loving someone as they are and as they are not. Therefore, loving your enemy as they are, as they are not. Because, as we state in the Bodhisattva's vow, it is looking at the real form of the universe, real form 
of what is. So loving what is is seeing what truly is. Another way of speaking of it is saying Zazen is loving what is because what is is the shared sameness whether we call this sameness Buddha nature emptiness oneness absolute or God it's seeing being the differences but that the differences are always within sameness. And it is exactly the sameness that manifests as this each particular difference. It's this form exactly emptiness, this emptiness exactly form then we can respond not out of fear but out of this that we share loving what is, loving what is not. That's whether we talk about it from the as Buddha Dharma or as Martin Luther King spoke of it. And this is also the Hebrew text from Leviticus that I brought up yesterday. Loving your neighbor as yourself. This as yourself really clarifies that a reason we can love someone as ourself is because they are ourself in the sense, just as I quoted Martin Luther King saying, and this is similarly in the Hebrew Bible in the Jewish tradition, this Kamaicha is that both are a creation, he uses the word image of the divine, image of God. Now that's not Buddhist language, but that's fine. We could speak in different terms, slightly different perspectives, but that's fine. In the Hebrew tradition, they would speak of demus elikus, which is the image, the aspect of God, and specifically says created in in the image. So 
Oh. But even more, it's the aspect of what does enable one to go beyond, beyond the actions and activities that makes one an enemy. And in a way it's by us honoring them, not in that difference that hinders us and them, but seeing, allowing the truth of our life and their life to be revealed. Or, as the Dhammapada quotes the Buddha, hatreds never cease through hatred in this world. Through love alone, or if I say it differently, literally, through non-anger, because as we say in many different ways, anger is one of the three poisons that poisons our life for us and poisons the life of the universe for us. So the Buddha says, through love alone they cease, or you want to say through loving kindness alone. This is an eternal law, says the Buddha in the Dhammapada. So I want to come back to what Martin Luther King closes his sermon on and also come back to Bodhisattva's vow. So this morning, he says, and this is quoting the text, as I look into your eyes and into the eyes of all my brothers in Alabama and all over America and over the world, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love somewhere, men, people of the most recalcitrant bent will be transformed. And then we will be in God's kingdom. Kingdom, We will be able to matriculate into the university of eternal life because we had the power to love our enemies, to bless those persons that cursed us, to even decide to be good to those persons who hated us. And we even prayed for those persons who despitefully used us. And he goes on, but I want to 
then turn to the end of the Bodhisattva's vow, which then, then when we see that even if they turn against us, they are just this awakened light, then on each moment's flash of our thought there grow a lotus flower. I'll say it another way, revealed and on each lotus flower will be revealed perfection. Though it says grow a lotus flower, the lotus flower is already there waiting to be revealed for us because it's unceasingly manifest as our life. That doesn't mean our life, my personal life, but our life together, including with this so-called enemy, just as it is, right here and right now. And yet, and yet, it's not so for us. So we have to love what's not so in order for it to be revealed as what is so. May we extend this mind to all beings so that we and the world together may attain maturity in the wisdom of the wakened life. And I'm foolish enough, Martin Luther King says, to believe that through this power of love, even the most recalcitrant will be transformed. In a way, transformed, in one way we think of transformed as changed, but in a way, I would say even more, it's revealed both for them themselves and for everyone else as what we have and are always. Whatever language you want to use for that, I leave the language to you since the language sometimes becomes something that hinders us from being and seeing. he says this is his speaking it is an eternal reminder to a generation generation depending on nuclear and atomic energy a generation depending on physical violence that love is the only creative redemptive transforming power in the universe. That's the way he phrases it. So, since what I want to do is for us to explore this together, not just for me to speak, but since we talked a little about it yesterday, and I know There's more that some of you wanted to say since you told me so.
more to explore this loving as they are, loving as they are not, whether it's in the immediate relationships, when we have with people and are angry with them, right there is our practice of loving them as they are not. Even if we don't call them, quote, enemies, we still have other ways of talking about how our anger has transformed them into someone or something that we are opposing. And yet, and yet, the fundamental practice, whether you're sitting by yourself, is loving what is and loving what is not. That's Zazen. That's Zazen because we allow the whole universe inside-outside to arrive and appear right in front of us. And most of us, you might be the rare exception, discover that what arises as we sit might include things that we want to expel, deny, or I'll make up a word, enemy eyes, turn into our enemy, turn into something that should not be. That's what an enemy is. They should not be in the universe. I said yesterday I was going to talk about some of the ways he extends this to international relations, but I feel like I really can leave that out unless someone absolutely feels that they need to hear it. Um, Because I feel like it's more important to clarify this side of it, of loving your enemies and seeing clearly how the anger and hatred distorts us and distorts the world we live in. But I will go to it if someone insists. Okay, I'll stop now and... We'll see if we can explore this further. If you want, you can change your position. That's one of love thy enemy without um, thinking, without self-therapy. Well, in a way, go the other way. Self-centered thinking is what maintains enemies. Because then the way we see them is through what we hold on to, what we say about who they are and who they are not. Whether you want to use the language of Martin Luther King and you want to deny that they're made in the image of God, or they are 
the image of God. Or you want to say they're not your fellow. They're not someone who you would love as yourself. They're not yourself. Or you want to say they're not this true nature, this awakened life, as the Bodhisattva vow says. Or you want to say, well, I can hate them and still that that won't do anything else except, of course, as whether the as the Buddha said, that just doesn't transform. It just creates hate as part of who you are, and as even more of who you are, which guarantees suffering, harming. So, we, there isn't, you know, we are a whole. All our functioning is exactly this who we are. It's the self-centeredness tends to, in a sense, narrow us so that we become a little piece of who we are, a little piece of a story about who we are. And in a sense, we diminish. We diminish ourselves, and we diminish our universe and we diminish everything that we encounter by looking only through that little lens and telescope. And diminishing is also distorting. And in distorting, we both cause harm and limit the possibility of this joyousness that we are, if I use that kind of word. We poison the universe. That Again, I po- say poison because that's exactly what happens with that. And we poison our universe. Ah, okay, since he... he uh, he has he Martin Luther King says I'll quote this paragraph. He says he and his brother were driving one evening to Chattanooga, Tennessee from Atlanta. His brother was driving the car and quote for some reason the drivers were very discourteous that night. They didn't dim their lights. Hardly any driver that passed by dimmed his light. And I remember very vividly my brother A D that's his brother's initialed, looked over and in a tone of anger said, I know what I'm going to do. The next car that comes along here and refuses to dim the lights, I'm going to fail to dim mine and pour them on in all their power. And he says, I looked at him right quick and said, oh no, don't do that. There'd be too much light on this highway and it will end up in mutual destruction for all. Somebody's got to have some sense on this highway. Somebody must have sense enough to dim the lights. And that is a trouble, isn't it? That is all of the civilizations of the world. That as all of the civilizations of the world move up the highway of history, so many civilizations have looked at other civilizations that refuse to dim the light and they've decided to refuse to dim theirs. And we'll skip ahead. Somebody must have sense enough or morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and the chain of evil in the universe. And you do that by love. Close quote.
in a way, hating, quote, our enemy, close quote, is a reactive habit that we are so used to, buy into so automatically, that we often don't even realize that we're doing it, whether so-called internally or so-called externally. And then when we do it, we almost feel like we have to justify it. We have to make it right and give all sorts of reasons why it makes perfect sense. And in doing that, we just perpetuate even more. Things come out of our mouth or come up to our head and then we say, of course, that's right. I got to, you know, and here's the reasons why. And then we can then go on with that. And then we see the, we don't even see the consequences. See, that's why, in a way, in zazen, it's not that the anger, hate, enemy shouldn't arise, but so that we can notice it in the midst of reacting out of it, in the midst of believing it, in the midst of just that caughtness to be practice, be experiencing, be non-hate, be present, whichever way you put it, be, if you work doing koan, be your koan, be not to, be not to is being, not hating yourself, or being the pain of the hate, anger, and the various other shades and gradations that we talk about. Or, as the Buddha says, from hate comes more hate. So we get to pour poison on and then feel more poison. And feeling more poison, we pour more poison on. Or, as he says in the very next sentence in the Dhammapada, we don't know that in this quarreling we perish. That's right in the beginning of the Dhammapada. I think there's a trap we can fall into as well as hating hate. Um, thinking that hate is it, it's a state of, of our human condition. Hate arises. And I think if if we deny that, if we're unable to embrace that, then I, we're cutting ourselves ourselves off from being able to practice with it. That you know you talk about Enemies, you know, love your enemies, and and you know, from a from a nuts and bolts practice point of view, I think it's always about you know enemies or no enemies or friends or or whatever. It's always about you know, embracing this moment, whatever it contains, and appreciating yeah. this moment, whatever it contains, and. In embracing and appreciating, this is what we're talking about when we say love, mm. because we tend to we tend to want to use love in a special sort of way, 
that doesn't include a lot of things. Um, at least we don't believe it does. And, you know, whether the enemy presents itself or my best friend presents itself, it's, from a practice point of view, it's the same thing. It's the same appreciating and experiencing as directly and as intimately as we can this moment as it arises. Mm-hmm. And it's <coughs> taking the step of the bodhisattva in, in a sense extending ourselves to the so-called hate even though we want to uh, push the hate onto someone else or onto some other fault. Well, yeah, I think hate arises oftentimes because we are under the apprehension that someone hates us. So therefore, they're deserving of our hate because we think, we believe, for whatever reason, they hate us. And and really what that says is, is that person is is denying love, is denying that that. Which who is that person? Well, if we if we see someone as our enemy, and if we see someone that that we, we believe is hating us, you know, our, our reaction is to well, we 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 give hate for hate, like Buddha says is, and like like King was talking about with the with the lights, we give hate to hate because we misinterpret and we fill we fill up the unknown with what we believe about it. And when people are reacting um, habitually to circumstances, we, we tend to want to read into that and, and, and create a story about it. And we believe that person hates us, so therefore they're deserving of our hate. I don't know if we have to quite go. I think it's very good to see that hate, anger, and various other forms are really just different uh, shadings uh, of something. So we shouldn't get caught in, in needing to use word, see, thinking that there's a difference between hate and anger or enemy well, and others. Well, it's all based others. on fear in the end, isn't it? Well, you could say everything is based on fear at the end. But that becomes too generally general and useless a statement. Um, because then greed's also based on fear. And, and de- delusion is also based on fear. And that's what the Heart Sutra is getting at. And yet we have to deal with the specifics. Um, so th- this time... If you don't deal with the specifics, then the generality, in a sense, defeats the ongoing practice because it doesn't clarify enough to enable us to start attending to where the hate and anger... And of course, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we're celebrating Martin Luther King Day, so I used his language and his text for some of this. Um, so he uses the word "hate your love your enemies," and the hate comes in with with that. Um, well, that's why I say, you know, from a practice point of view, it's always about however you want to think about it or talk about it. 
or explain it, it's always about embracing this moment exactly as it is. Yeah. And still we need to deal specifically with the way this moment seems to us in order to address what our practice effort is with this specific. Otherwise, otherwise, saying embrace this moment is great, except when you start getting angry with your neighbor or spouse because, because they didn't do or did do or you're sure they're thinking about or they're planning um, or can't they get it that you know I've explained it to them three times then how come they don't do it that way I I noticed that for me I'm in many ways, I seek enemies. Huh? Oh, yes. Enemies sort of make my life interesting. Example, if you watch, if you watch the European golf tour, I don't know anybody on that tour. I don't know anybody who plays on it because they're not in the United States. So, therefore, I don't have any enemies. It's very boring. But if I watch the PGA tour, I have my list of enemies. And it's very, it makes it very exciting to watch the enemies mess up and the good guys to run down the enemies on the back line and win the tournament. The European tour is like boring. I don't care who wins. You know, there's no enemies there. What about when the enemies do well? Uh, it's still good. <laughs> I mean, it's still like, like shit. Are you kidding me? And then you just, you know, you're throwing the remote or you're, you know, you're just you know, walking outside. I can't believe that happened. And I'm just saying that enemizing, or whatever that word is, <laughs> <laughs> that's not enemizing. Oh, it's probably not too far off. Yeah, it's a metaphor for it. But it is something. Not speaking for everyone, but it's something I do. I know I want to get um, skin in the game. Yes. That's my first thing. I turn something off. Who do I want to win? i got to figure that out immediately. Otherwise, who cares? As Ocean says, who cares? Yeah, and if you don't have skin in the game, who cares? But are you, are you really talking about enemies? I'm not so sure you're talking about enemies. Oh, there, trust me. Well, the Green Bay Packers are enemies. We've spoken about this because I've made a suggestion, which he, of course, poo-pooed. But let me make the suggestion. (laughs) I made a suggestion that for the first half of the game, root (laughs) for one team, and for the second half of the game, root for the other team, and just be present with your reactions. And his answer was. If you're a serious sports fan, you can't do that. Yeah. Am I misstating what you said? No, it's impossible. <laughs> and that's what our practice is. Our practice is an impossible practice. Loving your enemies is impossible, and yet we need to do it. Or loving what is and what is not 
despite your liking it or wanting it or not wanting it, is impossible, which is why it's our practice. Because the impossible and possible, both those are in the realm of self-centeredness. So I, I, I like very much what you said about, yes, having enemies on in a sports game makes it more exciting. It's like putting spices on food that otherwise is dull and, ah, I can't eat this anymore. But if I've got the right spices and right combinations and condiments, wow, this is or, great. Or, or politics. Okay. Yes, politics. We pick, we pick sides. And, uh-huh. we, and we don't know these people at all. We develop very strong opinions about them. And, we never sit down and talk to them. We, ba- we basically get our information through second sources that write things about them or brief little clips at night on television, and we decide that this person is our enemy. Yes. And, and this person is the good one. And we do this. Now, I don't know why humans do this, uh-huh. but it seems, well, this human does it. I'm always going to pick sides in any political issue, any social issue. And I'm sure, I have cousins who are on the very much other side of these political debates we're Uh having. Now, they're my family, and I know them. And they're very difficult to... Now, there's that word. (laughs) They have an animal. (laughs) Because, you know, it's hard when you don't, when you know someone, to put them in that camp. Well, that's why I say, for one part of the game, be with one side. And even though it's hard for the other part of the game, imagine yourself a fan of the Green Bay Packers. Imagine yourself and take the utmost of your abilities to be that Green Bay Packer fan and and act it out if you have to. Extra acting out and then see what is it like. Now, it might be difficult, but maybe if you yell for them enough, all of a sudden you'll start feeling what it is to be a Green Bay Packer fan. And then when the Bears score against them, you'll go, oh, or whatever, whoever. I know you've been saying that for years. This may be a lot. A what? I haven't said anything yet. This may be a... No, I think there is. I mean, I think in a sense the Heart Sutra is turning us towards that because underneath fear, if we say it, of course if we're explaining it this way, we get trapped into the the concepts we have of it. But in a way, underneath fear is 
if we say life, death, self, other, form, emptiness, is really what's underneath fear. Now those, if those are just conceptual for you, it's not any very useful to say that because underneath fear is only by embracing fear that we can see fear and be fear and yet not be afraid of fear, not be overwhelmed by fear, not be um, um, uh, make fear into something other than our life at the moment when it arises, which means it can also be our life in the moment as it passes. If we're fighting fear all the time, then we're always in the fighting mode, and then we can't allow the fear that's a natural product, a natural process of being human. Being alive includes fear. See, being alive, being Buddha nature means fear arises as this Buddha nature life manifesting. It can't not arise. And yet, being able to be fear is being able to be free of fear, because then fear need not run us, it can come and go as life. Which is why loving what is, is loving fear when that arises, hard as that is, because none of us want to experience it. It seems like the most opposite, most repellent, experiencing that we can do and yet as far as I know it's in little ways and big ways it is fundamental to being human to being embodied not just human animals so to speak but many other animals will experience fear in some way but we only know little bits about that. Um, but that's it's part of this bodiness, embodiment. And yet we need not be afraid of fear. That's the possibility that we all have. That's the possibility that, let us say, the Buddhas and ancestors testify. That's the possibility of in Zazen and in all the other practices, which is exactly what in Bodhisattva's vow, even if he should turn against us and become a sworn enemy, that's exactly what Martin Luther King was talking about. Not only an enemy, but a sworn enemy. So he did declares in your face, I am your enemy, or she declares in your face, I am your enemy, I will get you and cut you up and whatever. And that's fearful, especially if you think she has the power to do that, and the ability to do that, and will do that, the determination to do that. And we might run. There's, I've quoted it before in the Lotus Sutra, there's a chapter about a Bodhisattva called, um, his, his name is the Bodhisattva who um, says, I will never despise you. And 
even as, and he bows down to people saying, you're Buddhas to be, I bow to you as a Buddha to be. And some people get very upset with him. And then there comes people who are throwing stones, trying to kill him and drive him away for saying that. And even as he runs away, he turns around and says, I bow to you, I will never despise you. That's exactly this bowing down, loving your enemies. Even those who despise, hate, challenge, stone. Now, of course, it's put up as an ideal, if I say as an ideal type, as a bodhisattva. We all know how difficult even little bits of that, putting up with just a little anger from someone, even a little imagined anger, as Mushin said. We imagine someone's angry at us, and we become angry at them. We don't even know if they're angry, but they did something or looked somehow or moved somehow or someone else said something. And then we say, they're angry at me. There's all the, they are so-and-so. There's fear right there. And then the fear comes out as the anger. Or as, or as the depression upset. They're angry at me. Oh no, my life is going to be... And then sometimes we discover that we've created castles in the sky. You know, hey, next time they're with us, they don't they don't seem to be that angry. In fact, they don't even seem to be angry at all. I was sure they were going to smash me next time. And look at that. They even sent me a gift. <laughs> How? I don't understand this. And here I, you know, we build up this whole drama and play of what we're going to say to them and why we're right and why they always do that and it must be that way and other people must believe it. So, but, but do you want to say something more, Don? Yeah. Oh, well, it seems like a lot of times my fear is based on some belief in some sort of loss. Uh-huh. Loss of love, loss of connection, loss of life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the biggest one, I suppose. I mean, I can see fear in my cat's eyes sometimes if I approach them in a way that right. frightens them. And, you know. Right. What yeah. I experience of the animals that live with me, you know, their prime directive is yeah. to stay alive. Yes. Um, and they have a lot of instinctual things. They eat their food really fast because in the wild, if they don't, they might not get enough food. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're, they're not, you know, they kind of look around when they eat, even though I've never bothered them when they eat. You know, it, I, yes. I, yes. I don't know. It seems like loss could be something to explore too. Right. The fear. And, but if you have an enemy... You know, I'm thinking like really big, like World War II or something. Yeah. Um, you know, if you consider the Nazis aggressors, which I did, or, well, I wasn't yeah. alive then, but, you know, <laughs> they were pretty bad. Um, yeah. You know, what were they afraid of, and what was their thing they would think they were going to lose? Their, 
not have enough, not enough, maybe? Well, actually, I mean, if I you... I don't know. I'm we, sure it's very complicated. It is quite complicated because it's really just the spillover and a continuation of World War I and yeah. the consequences. But we don't really have to go into that because I think you're right. Loss of love, loss of... And we, we that th- those are very basic. And yet... How would we live? How do we live? How can we live when we will lose love at times, lose life at some time? You're right. How do we embrace death or embrace the possibility of death or embrace the possibility of illness? Um, so those, those do arise naturally with, in fear. I mean, fear arises when those occur. And yet, those are guaranteed in our life. We're guaranteed to, well, we're not guaranteed to, but most of us will at some point point become ill. Sometimes major illness, sometimes lose certain capacities. And if we're lucky or unlucky, we'll grow old and weak and infirm. And at some point, we will all die. And if we live out of the fear of dying, then the whole of our life becomes distorted out of that fear that we can't embrace this guarantee. Guarantee. I'll write guarantee policies, insurance, I'll bet, I'll give you 10 to 1 odds that you will die. If you want, I'll give you 100 to 1 odds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? There's no one. It's a hundred percent. Sounds rigged to me. But 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 so so but it is rigged. And and yet there's the possibility of not living in fear of the death, even though death will be there. Or there's the possibility of seeing how there's distorted fear and how fear distorts our loving, living life up until death. And maybe a cat needs to look around at other cats, but if it does that when there's no other cat in the house and no one else who's going to grab the food, then in a way there's a wasted energy. Now, I don't know how a cat can practice Zazen so as that they can go... Because those are instinctual. They're built into us and them. See, we also have instincts that include our psychological habits, whether they're genetically or whether they're a combination of epigenetics in our particular family and and psychological stuff, all of that is there. And yet our practice requires us, just as what Martin Luther King is talking about, requires us to go beyond that. Even though it seems natural, as his brother was doing, driving down the road and constantly getting, you know, light in his eyes and being blinded, getting, becoming more and more angry, it seems, you know, he's fearful. So he says, I'm going to do it to them. And yet he says, all that does, or as others say, if, you know, 
all that does is you poke, someone pokes your eye out and you poke their eye out and you end up having everyone um, doing an eye for eye and you've got a world of blind people. So, okay, wait, there was someone here. Yes. Well, I think I spoke to you yesterday trying to find an example of how you do this and certainly the Dalai Lama yes. going through war and people hating him, hating his culture, blah, blah, blah. Uh, over many, many, many years now, and he is, you know, the most joyful, lovely guy, it seems to me. And loving, loving, even of his Chinese Mm -hmm. um, persecutors. So how did he do that? Practice. And he practiced his Buddhist, he practiced his Buddhist practice. In, In many ways, and he continues to practice. Which is why I encourage you to draw joyful Dalai Lama faces as your next art project. And I said it publicly now, so you... (laughs) But yes, that's another aspect of the Bodhisattva practice. Whether we call it loving-kindness practice, whether we call it different forms. When every time we recite the Bodhisattva's vow, we are making that vow. How we fulfill it depends on our own life practice. But we have little ways. We don't have to look for big enemies who want to kill us. We could look for the little anger that we get about someone else moving something, parking in our parking spot that we thought was ours, or saying something to us, or not saying. You know, they came in help today and they didn't look at me when they passed by, or they just said hello, but they didn't say a real hello. Or, you know, who knows what? They ate the last cookie in, in, the, in, the, in the place and they didn't leave it for me. They knew. Well, they had two. And here I come and there's none left. They must be out to get me. Even those simple things. So you're right. This is major practice. Loving what is and what is and as is and loving as is not is ongoing zazen throughout our life. And we have opportunities every time we notice our anger or our hatred or our, I'll again try that word, enemizing someone, (laughs) (laughs) making someone into an enemy or, or a little bit of an enemy. We could have little bits enemies. They could have little shades of enemies for a day. You know, they... And that's our practice. You're right. That's why it's lifelong practice. And that's why it's our particular practice in different ways. Yeah. Brett, Gikai. I'm glad Sue said that before I asked her the question. So, um, so Dalai Lama is a good example of someone who opposed the policy and maintains being loving because, you know, it's not like Steve suggests that these are just inert. Um, When we say someone, see someone says, I want to bring back torture and I want to kill the families of terrorists and stuff like that. These are real things that we can judge this person on. It came out of their own mouth. It's real policies they want to happen. And so we need to oppose that. It's just 
that we don't get drawn into hating them while we oppose them. One of the reasons... No, no, let's stop. We don't oppose them, we oppose specific policies. There's a, that's the important difference. And that's what Martin Luther King was also saying too. If you do opposing them, and you have to wait till you see what the actual policies that you're opposing are. People say all sorts of things, and especially in the light or darkness and the heat of campaigns. So, But yes, that's exactly what Martin Luther King says. You oppose the specific activities. I'll, I'll read it again. It, it, just so that you, if I can find it quickly enough. No, I'm not going to find it now. But I can't find it now, but that's the point is what you oppose is the specific things. Individual. I can't find it now. But he specifically said it in this text. You're opposing what the specific thing that you disagree with them, but not them. Not them. And it's important. It's important to distinguish that. Otherwise, especially in what you're talking about, the nature of a society and nation, all you have then is everyone opposing everyone and you've got hate and more hate. So, and and you need to clarify what it is you oppose, what it is you, how you intend to oppose it in a way that's loving. Otherwise, what ends up happening is you become what you hate in your opposition. Your hate poisons you. Uh-huh. I was talking about trying to have a discussion on the box. Mm-hmm. I don't know who that was, but I, I read an article on the plane. It was an interview that um, President Obama gave to Rolling Stone the day after the election was lost for Hillary. And he said he thinks part of the problem is the misinformation and wrong information is not being answered in public forums in the new age of internet and stuff like that, which is, I think, exactly what this person was getting at yesterday. Um, If we take away some of the extreme stuff and we say, well, let's have a real conversation about healthcare or in Illinois, how your plans are like threatening my job at the university, um, these are real 
real issues and, and if people don't really lose their ignorance and, and be honest and have a real discussion, then there'll be consequences for all of us. And the misinformation is on all sides. Every, there isn't any non-misinformation is the problem. There is no pure media that gives you trustworthy information anymore. In fact, some of the most so-called respected said, you know, like New York Times said, we don't have journalism anymore during this campaign. We're all doing everything we can to oppose Trump. They specifically said it in their news section. One of their major writers said it. So you're right. You look at the comments and you see everywhere you look, you see continuous, as she was saying, trolling of positions that don't fit in with the majority in that forum. So you're right. There's divisiveness and refusal to listen to anything but the so-called correct point of view. So it, there, isn't, there isn't a willingness. So instead of saying we're going to come together and try to make healing, people continue to want to say, all sorts of things to generate more divisiveness, divisiveness, more hate, more violence, because, as Munchen said, it makes you feel great when you're in a sports event or in politics, if you're on the right and they're on the wrong. So you pump yourself up, and in that pumping up, you pump hate into the conversation and into your life. And that doesn't feed healing. And really what this is about is healing. Healing into the present moment. Zazen, I was saying is loving, I'll say Zazen is healing. Healing into the reality of who we are. Practice is healing into, if we use Martin Luther King's, he would say healing into being the image of God that you are. That's what he said. He uses the word, we are able to matriculate into the university of internal life and we will be in God's kingdom. That's the power of love. He says that specifically. What is matriculate? Matriculate. Matriculate is when, um, it's an old-fashioned word probably now, it means that you be, when, when you joined college you matriculated you were you got went from high school and matriculated into into college or into a specific major or whatever so that's the word i don't know the source of the word i didn't look it up someone else might be able to know where the word comes from but so you matriculate into a higher level into yeah and you have applied and you've been approved and stamped and sealed right You've been stamped and sealed as part of Buddha's kingdom, as part of God's kingdom, as whatever language you want to use. Um, that's what the word matriculate means. Uh, I don't. I, I can't say anything about its etymology. But so 
you can disagree on the policy, but you have to love the other person. If you don't, if you hate the other person, then your disagreement will fall on deaf ears because what will be first heard is your hatred, which just generates more hatred. See? Isn't that the problem with the Israelis and Palestinians? Yeah. That's the problem with lots. Yes. And sometimes it's the problem in saying fundamentally that others shouldn't exist. If the other shouldn't exist, then you are always going to hate. Or as he says, Martin Luther, this is a reason why we should love our enemies, is because hate distorts the personality of the hater. See? But hate, he says, not only we, we usually Quote, we usually, I need to say quote because some people said they weren't sure what was his, what were his words. We usually think of what hate does for the individual hated or the individuals hated or the groups hated. But it is, it is even more tragic. It is even more runious, runious, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, and injurious to the individuals who hate. You just begin hating someone and you will do you will begin to do irrational things. You can't see straight when you hate. You can't walk straight when you hate. You can't stand upright. Your vision is distorted. There's nothing more tragic than to see an individual whose heart is filled with hate. So, politics is all about who gets what, where, when, and how. It's always been that way. Mm. And if it becomes about the politics of who you hate and who you don't hate, then you poison yourself and you poison everyone else and you poison, poison the life of the nation. And if it becomes about who you hate and who you don't hate in your family, then it poisons the family. And if it becomes that way in your workplace, it poisons the workplace. And if it becomes that way among your friends, then it poisons the friends, even as you might all rejoice in who you hate. It becomes a a rejoicing that is poisonous, that seeps into our very being and functioning and comes out in other ways and just perpetuates harm and suffering. And that's what the Buddha said, too. That's what he says here here and in other places. Hatred never ceases through hatred in this world, only through love. And people don't know that in this quarreling, in this hatred, we perish. We perish. says the Buddha in the Dhammapada. I'll give you the quotation, the the citation if you want that, but you don't need it. Okay. But you don't have to believe anything that I said, that Martin Luther King said, that anyone else said. 
Just take this as an opportunity to look. The reason I spoke yesterday and today, particularly of Martin Luther King, um, used both language from the Hebrew Bible and from the Christian Bible was to honor him and his life and the inheritance that we get from his life and his practice and his mission. And hopefully it's an inheritance of healing, healing our nation, healing our individuals, healing our world. And that's in a way what the Buddha's teaching was too. If you think of it, the Buddha is said to have been awakened when he was 30, and for the rest of his life, supposedly close to 50 years, he wandered through India, often in very difficult conditions, certainly towards the end of his life. He was suffering greatly. We even know what illnesses he had at the, in the last year of his life when he was facing incontinence, inability to digest food, and so forth. There's been someone who's written an articles dis- analyzing and discovering what illness it was based on the symptoms in some, some medical journal. But nevertheless, he spent his life wandering in the, through the subcontinent of India, offering this to people as a way to help reduce suffering eliminate suffering and hatred. So, in that spirit, I thought this was useful for us. So whether our bodhisattva practice is in our family, among our friends, by ourselves, or in our nation and world, it's our opportunity to be this life that we are, to allow the universe life of all we encounter to reveal the perfection that they are and to encourage and support this in everyone we encounter. Thank you.